Welcome back for another episode of the Box Jumper Podcast. I'm your host, John St. Amand. I am a 40-something CrossFit athlete, trainer, and weightlifting coach in Bedford, Nova Scotia, Canada. This podcast is a deeper dive into fitness, health, nutrition, basically anything to do with active and healthy pursuits to support your everyday life. If you want to keep on top of the Box Jumper Podcast, be sure to follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at BoxJumperOver40. That's over four zero. And of course, if you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, subscribe or follow in your app so that you get the next episode of the podcast automatically as it comes out. For this episode, I was delighted to chat with a friend of mine from high school, Karen Furneaux. If that name sounds familiar, here's why. Karen is an Olympian and nine-time medal winner at the ICF Canoe Sprint World Championships, including two golds in 98 and 2001. She represented Canada in three Summer Olympics, with her best finish in Sydney in 2000, finishing fifth, and she is a Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame athlete. In 2018, she was named one of the greatest athletes in Nova Scotia's history. She's also an author, speaker, and trainer. In 2018, she released Strong Beauty, Power Up the Champion Within, a memoir of sorts filled with plenty of actionable insights based on her experiences as a high-level athlete. Her businesses, I Promise Performance, as well as Strong Beauty Tribe, are informed and inspired by her experiences as well as she delivers keynote lectures steeped in her background in sports psychology to audiences around the world and inspiring the next generation not just of athletes but of other business professionals. And as if she wasn't already busy enough, she's also a trainer at an incredibly popular fitness facility here in Halifax, Evolve Fitness. In short, Karen has some incredible experience, and I was overdue having her on the podcast for a chat. So in 10 seconds, I'll talk mindset and resilience with Olympian and world champion paddler Karen Furneaux, who's already authoring the next chapter of her story and inspiring the next generations that follow. Karen Furneaux, welcome to the Box Jumper Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's uh, it's really cool to get an opportunity to talk to you uh, so long after we were in school together. Um, you've had a pretty remarkable career in sport, and um, I, I want get, to get an opportunity to ask you about um, how you got into sport in the first place. Um, you know, I know even back when we were in high school, you were heavily into paddling at that time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was clearly going somewhere. So how did you how did you become as competitive in um, the, the sport of paddling as you did? Yeah, great question. Um, so I started paddling when I was about 12 years old, actually, at Chima Aquatic Club in Waverly, Nova Scotia. And uh, yeah, fell in love with being on the water. I loved um, just the whole idea of connecting to the water and being with my friends and, and moving a boat with my own power. So that, that right. I was really drawn to, um, in high school, um, when we would have f- first met one another, I was really trying to make, um, a Canada games team. So that was really my first goal that I had in mind. Um, mm-hmm. and that's really the process that I actually fell in love with was the process of goals, going after goals, um, and coming into a process of 
what happens every day, every workout to make those goals a reality. So that's really kind of what drew me in. Mm -hmm. I loved paddling, of course, but it was actually like the chasing of a goal and achieving certain goals as well that I had set for myself. So kind of one goal led to another. I I found myself um, in that high school age where I was competing and representing Canada all of a sudden at the Junior World Championships in the Czech Republic. And that was in, I believe it was 1993. And that first moment when I put on the Canada jersey, the racing shirt, and Mm -hmm. back then, I mean, you can imagine these days we have all the technical gear. Back then it was a plain and very simple cotton T-shirt. And it just said Canada on the back and it had a maple leaf on the chest. And I loved it. I loved putting on that shirt. I felt like Wonder Woman. Um, it was I was really drawn <laughs> to that. So I knew in that first experience that I wanted to have more um, opportunities to get to represent uh, not only Canada, but where I grew up in Waverly. Right. Was Was anyone else in your family involved in paddling or was it or were you the first? No, each of my sisters were involved. So I come from a family of three girls. I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. And uh, we grew up very close to Chima. So Waverly is kind of like cottage country, I guess, here in Nova Scotia. And um, yeah, the lakes are are beautiful. And they're freshwater lakes. And they're they're just spectacular. And Chima, uh, I grew up seeing that lake growing up and seeing kayaking. Um, was initially drawn to swimming. But yeah, all of my sisters went through the sport. Uh, My youngest sister um, paddled at the Junior World Championships like I did as well. Um, And then my middle sister, she was very drawn to equestrian. So she loved riding and eventing and all the stuff to do with horses. (laughs) (laughs) Starting, um, you know, representing the country, um, at that young of an age, I have to imagine that not only was it, um, you know, very demanding as far as, as the far training as is training concerned, but you have to have made quite a number of sacrifices to be able to train to get to that level. How difficult was it for you to um, achieve that level of uh, performance and, and what kind of sacrifices did you wind up having to make to get there? Um, I kind of, yeah, that word sacrifices, it, it's, uh, you know, I definitely made uh, some different choices um, mm-hmm. when I grew up, but I really believe they were those. They were, they were, that was my choice. It was always my choice. My parents made that very clear to me. Um, so I'll give you one example. Um, so in grade 12, I was heading off to the Junior World Championships, and our high school prom, I believe, would have been at the end of June. And I remember my dad, because I had to leave for Europe the very next day, my dad actually picked me up from that dance um, and brought me home at midnight because I had to get a full night's sleep in order to, I was like Cinderella. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had to get on the flight and travel to the Czech Republic that next day um, to be with my team. But it's wow. you know, things like that, choices, right? I kind of view them as that. And, yep. um, you know, with any uh, endeavor that we set for ourselves, it requires a lot of hard work and, Paddling was no different. I trained um, upwards of six hours a day, I think, from about the age of 15. 
And that, you know, I had a, a, a career that spanned 20 years. And uh, so that takes its toll definitely on your body. Um, mm -hmm. So I learned how to manage that volume of training um, through recovery techniques and rest, proper rest, fueling my body, eating certain foods, timing of eating certain foods and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's all, I, I kind of view them as choices rather than that sacrifice. Really. I enjoy, That's fair. yeah, I enjoyed, um, what I did and I, I was honored to get to do it. At what point did you start setting your sights on the Olympics? Uh, from that first time I put on that Canadian Jersey, I kind of knew that's mm -hmm. where my next step needed to be. I didn't know if that would happen, but, um, back, even though, even that was, you know, my next goal and progression, um, you know, it took me another eight years to make that Olympic team. Um, right. so it was a lot of, of work. Uh, but back when I was a little girl, when I was eight years old, I remember telling my dad, um, after I think a gymnastics practice, you know, he picked me up from the club and, and brought me home. And I said to him in the car, I said, dad, I, I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. And, you know, I don't remember what he said at that point, but I certainly remember feeling support. Um, he, he probably talked to me about what we were having for supper or, you know, things like that. But uh, I always, always felt supported by my parents and my family and, and uh, the people around me. So um, mm -hmm. I definitely had the idea of the Olympics from when I was a young girl. When you started competing at the international level, did you did you recognize at the time just how how long a career in the sport you might have? Um, I started to realize how long it would take to actually achieve what I wanted to achieve. So I started mm -hmm. to have some concept of you know times and what it would take to race. So in, in paddling and kayaking, we race. Back then, it was only the five hundred meters, and then it it later became also the 200 meters and the thousand meters. But, um, so I knew kind of on the global scale where I sat with those times and how I ranked among other female competitors, uh, similar in age. Um, right. so I started kind of ranking myself and seeing myself, um, among that group. And I, you know, I was looking at and watching the women's national team very closely because I was on the junior national team at that point, not yet the senior team, but knowing what it would have taken at that point to make that jump, uh, time-wise. So, um, and then kind of coming to full appreciation of, you know, at the end of a season, you get, you know, you race a national championships or trials and those times, they're kind of reflective of that entire year's work in that one minute and 45 or two minutes uh, race. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, it took me a long time to break that barrier. And then those barriers became actually harder to break, like to shave more time off became mm. even tougher. Right. Yeah. After, so it's very much a lot of incremental goal setting um, and, you know, consistently measuring yourself against those incremental goals. How, um, how do you, how do you go about approaching, um, the, the process of, of identifying what that goal should be and knowing what increments to aim for in order to make that progress, especially in, in a sport where, you know, you, you have to, 
you have to be on on that given day and peak at the right time. Yeah, that's right. A lot of it goes into it. And I, I was very fortunate that I had um, a very supportive and well-educated coach uh, to help me through all of that. Um, I actually, mm-hmm. I was so passionate about it. I went into university. My studies at university were all in performance based. So I, I studied in kinesiology, uh, sport and exercise physiology. And then uh, in my master's degree, I I discovered how important the mind was. So I then studied in sports psychology. So I was really kind of bought all in to this idea of performance. And um, yeah, it was just that those incremental goals for sure. But then keeping it back to process, coming back to, you know, what am I doing today to move just a little bit farther forward towards that goal? And it it does come back to that because, you know, you, you can set the big massive goal for yourself. And that's great. It can be motivating, but we really kind of have to come back to that present moment. What we're, what are we doing? What skill are we working on? What technique are we trying to amplify? What feeling are we trying to, um, you know, engage and things like that um, in order to, that's how we get to the goals is actually the process. Right. It's interesting. So that, I mean, that certainly leads um, rather naturally to a discussion of what you're now doing for a career, because just that process that you describe and the, and the mindset and, and incremental goal setting while having that grander goal in mind, that has transference outside of sport. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what, what is it that you're doing now with I Promise Performance? Yeah. So my business, I promise performance is now, well, it's almost 11 years old. I can't believe it. Um, (laughs) but it is, it has evolved over time. Um, so I initially started it as a corporate wellness company. Um, Mm -hmm. it is now, uh, more of, um, you know, it, it, I do a lot of virtual public speaking now, uh, with COVID times, of course, makes sense. Um, typically in non COVID times, I would travel to speak, but that is not happening at present. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm really loving actually the virtual presenting and getting to talk about all of those strategies, um, and kind of, you know, those success strategies, I guess, that I used as an athlete, but kind of relating it to real time today, what people are, are journeying through that resilience um, skill set and framework that we can always be adapting and, you know, modifying. Um, so a lot of, uh, you know, I do a lot of business uh, organizational work with that um, on the virtual side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, in non COVID times, I get to speak to youth all around the province. Um, so I, I really enjoy connecting with that group too. Um, so yeah, more of a speaking business that I have developed, um, in, in the 11 years and, right. uh, yeah, I've gotten to speak to many, many different audiences. Um, yeah. And then, uh, as well, I'm a, a performance consultant at Evolve Fitness, um, mm-hmm. here in Halifax. So I do work, um, on the virtual, side their virtual programming and platform has evolved evolved (laughs) Mm -hmm. through covid um so helping with that as well as in-person coaching right now in uh i think it was 2018 you you released your book uh strong beauty power up the champion within yeah it it, it, did uh was that inspired by uh the the first 
several years of, of your training business? Uh, yes. And also actually I found it. So the process of writing that book, um, I actually found it very therapeutic, uh, because, so I retired, um, I found that, that process of, uh, transitioning out of, uh, professional sport into professional life, (laughs) very Mm. difficult. Um, so much so that I actually did it twice. So my retirement and kind of career transition, um, it was kind of like my trifecta I found. Um, it was a time in my life where, uh, you know, I was, I was hurt. I had, I had sustained a second disc hernia, um, at L5 S1. So I was injured. I was in pain. I was, uh, journeying through a separation and divorce and I was leaving my sport. Everything I knew about myself was changing. Mm. So I found it so difficult. And and at the same time, I was running, I promise, performance. Well, my business in the words, you know, says what I'm supposed to do. And I couldn't then not promise performance. Well, there were some days where I felt like I was going to burst into tears. Mm. I was so low emotionally um, Mm. and I wasn't doing very well. But I kind of, you know, found my way through that time by establishing myself some really solid resilience routines. And that's really and truly what I leaned on. And a lot of those were around um, physical activity because I was you know, brought up that way. That's what was comfortable for me, training, working, you know, what I could manage, obviously managing with in an injury as well. Right. Um, but yeah, just kind of leaning into those routines a little bit and, you know, making sure that I was nourishing my body, getting enough water, getting enough sleep um, and all of those things, too. So that's kind of the the inspiration that I drew to write that book was how can I help um, people that are moving through challenging times like career transition? That's a huge one for for everyone, not just Olympic athletes, but for everyone. Um, and sure. we're, we're dealing with times of change. Like what's more relevant right now? We're being asked to change and reframe every single day. Um, yep. so yeah, so that, that is really where that inspiration came from, but I found it tremendously healing to share my story. And I had never done that other than, you know, through speaking and with youth, because that's who I was most vulnerable with. It's I, you know, I was open to sharing with them. Um, not so much on the corporate stage, but now that's changed a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I really wanted to share, um, so that I could help people journey through that as well. Hmm. I have to imagine, I mean, when I think back about, um, sport and some of the things that have changed within sport over the last 20 years, I mean, just the understanding of training methodologies, uh, you know, metabolic health, a lot of new, uh, understanding of that side of things has emerged over the last, in particular, the last decade with, with the, uh, the various different technologies that are available to measure output, measure input, all the various different wearables and, and other technologies. Yeah. How much have you seen, um, you know, the, the, the knowledge, um, of sport change over the course of your career, because you really, you know, you, you were at the 
you're, you're at the peak of your career when some of the technology would have started to be introduced, but it wouldn't have been, wouldn't have reached maturity while you were still competing, but you're still actively helping the next generation of athlete learn from these new technologies and this new understanding uh, of sport. How is that influencing how you interact with the, the next generation of athlete? Absolutely. And it, so when I retired from sport, professional sport, it was, it was in 2012. Um, and my first kind of go at retiring was in 2010. So right. that time frame, we were just starting to learn, really learn the, uh, the impacts of, you know, periodizing training properly, making sure that weight training complemented what we were doing on the water or, or in whatever sport, if I'm speaking generally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sports psychology side uh, was kind of just starting to become very popular and and spoken about among professional athletes across the world. Like that was yeah. in and around the time that Tiger Woods talked about his sports psychologist very freely and openly and things like that. So it was in that time frame where it was just starting to kind of surface. And the athletes um, that I knew and trained with were very intrigued as I was to learn the most that I, that I could um, around that area. And so in 2009, I actually went down to the HeartMath Institute in California to study mm-hmm. um, in a heart rate variability training. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, a piece that, that was really um, a turning point for me. I knew that breath was really important and understanding that we could use our breath to support ourselves. Um, I kind of knew that from when I was a young girl managing my asthma, um, you know, through the nights and things like that, but Mm -hmm. also knew that breathing and intentional breathing, kind of that resonant breathing was something that was helpful for me when I stood up in front of an audience or when I raised my hand in class and things like that. I was one of these students. I was terrified to speak out. So to choose speaking as a career path. For me, it was like, if you asked me this when I was 16 years old, I would have run the other way. And uh, so I started to learn a lot about breathing and um, how we can kind of use that breath to manage and move through energy and emotion. And I think that piece for me became so important at the latter stages of my career. And I think now it's, it's almost like this is, this is done. Everybody knows about this now. Like there's, there's lots of work being done around breath work um, and things like that and training. And uh, yeah. So I think had I known that back, you know, in my Olympic years, that professional part of my career, um, it would have been super helpful. Absolutely. Um, And then, you know, Physical training happens much differently. You know, we track different things, different markers even than we did back then. You know, we would show up to training and, well, geez, are you, how are you feeling? You're feeling tired? You know, those were, our, those were our markers. Whereas now there's actual testing done, right? To kind right. of see where each athlete is sitting on the day. A little bit perhaps. deeper and more objective measures are being used. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But interestingly, that heart rate variability is one of those ones that's really key as for an indicator for how we're handling and managing stress. Um, So training is an example, perfect example of stress, right? Stress to the body. 
Um, so that heart rate variability becomes a really important measure. And I know it's on a lot of the Apple watches now, not a lot of people pay attention to it, but it is a really cool marker that we can track over time to learn about how our body and how our mind is being affected by overall stress. Hmm. And I mean, yeah. in the good sense and the bad sense or the difficult sense too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm only just starting to get uh, uh, into the, the data on heart rate variability. I, I've, I've had a whoop strap for the last month and change. Um, and it's somewhat revealing. I still have, I, I have an awful lot to learn about what influences uh, my performance, but it's interesting to have this new metric available to me uh, that gives me yeah. some sense of, you know, how recovered I am and therefore how hard, how hard should I reasonably expect to push from one day to the next and seeing the influence of other stressors outside of workouts, uh, having an impact on my recovery and my heart rate variability measures from day to day has been kind of interesting and enlightening and a little bit unnerving at the same time. Absolutely. And it's, it's also a great indicator for, you know, how we're doing immune system wise as well. Cause you know, when we're more run True. down because of whatever stress, whether that be training stress or life stress or, or whatever it is, we're also more, you know, we could be potentially more susceptible. So it's a really important marker in our times that we're kind of all journeying through right now, even. Yeah, for sure. Have you, uh, have you wound up having to, uh, modify the, the messaging of some of the keynotes that you're delivering for, uh, th- to incorporate some of the, the new reality that we're all, we've all been facing for the last year? Um, I think a, a little bit modified, definitely. I mean, tailored specifically for, um, you know, skills and kind of that framework around what we're all globally together moving through. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, the, the messages haven't changed in and around the importance of self-care, right. um, you know, taking care of self first and foremost. I think that that one is one that I have used for a decade, <laughs> if not longer. <laughs> Um, and that was that was true when I was training professionally as well. I needed to take care of myself on the rest side, the recovery. You know, we don't need to always be glorifying that, you know, the grind. Yes, yes, work hard. Yes, go after all the goals. Yes, achieve the goals. But rest, recover, restore, let the mind rest. Um, that piece is so, so important. And I think now more than ever, we're starting to see people really, truly starting to realize that, you know, that we need to be um, fueling ourselves from a mental health standpoint, mental well-being, physical well-being, emotional well-being, before we can then serve others. Um, so that's kind of, that's part of the the message around resilience too. Right. Yeah, I know. Certainly being self-employed, I, you know, earlier in my career in particular, before I was really well-established, the long hours were par for the course, uh, but I didn't think anything of multiple long hour days in a row, not really um, expecting that it would have any kind of negative impact down the line. Um, You know, I certainly know better now. um, And I think honestly, it has a lot to do with the physical training that I do now having that Having that to use as a bit of a metric um, for how recovered I am from even the stress of work, um, you know, and, and 
And, yeah. You know, it's it's not just that the the workout is a stress release. It's also a way for me to gauge whether or not, um, you know, I'm actually feeling as good as I think in my head. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's, I think it just, it comes back to that, you know, checking in, having that awareness every day, being present, not only with others, but most importantly with ourselves, you know, making that kind of first priority rather than just like, you know, grab your snack, go out the door, boom, boom, boom. And then you kind of start to feel how you're feeling on the way. Like it's, it's more, I think it's more intentional than that. Yeah. If we want to do our best work. So what does, what does training for you look like now? I mean, while you're retired from competition, it's not like you're, uh, you're not in clearly amazing physical shape and you're still training. I've seen videos of you deadlifting and doing pull-ups with more weight on, on them than I can do. So, um, you know, how, how do you keep yourself motivated to train these days? Yeah. Um, so that's something that I've always found joy in is moving my body um, and, and having fun in the process. So I've, I've always loved the gym. Um, mm-hmm. I was one of those athletes that, you know, I, I didn't ever not want to be in the gym working out. Um, I loved being on the water of course, but my, I really felt a strong connection to weightlifting and being in the gym space. And mm-hmm. I think really that's where a lot of my confidence came from too. And, uh, so what I do now, um, I move my body every day doesn't always look like, um, you know, that training workout style, but I make sure to go through some mobility or maybe some yoga. Um, it's a lot different than six hour trainings a day now. It's more like, you know, an hour if I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really important for me to move my body in the day and take frequent movement breaks as well. So not stuck in one position all day. And, you know, then every, I, I always get so sore when I, and stiff when I'm, when I'm sitting and for long hours that I'm sitting or standing, but yeah, so training wise, I just, I, I still kind of treat it like, uh, I'm still an athlete. Like I'm still, I still view myself as an athlete. I'm not competing right now, but I still find as right. much joy, if not more at, uh, from being in the gym and, and being in that space. So I treat it with that kind of same level of professionalism. I, I do my warm up, not the same exact warm up that I used to do as an athlete, but um, yeah, modified warm up. My main thing is I, I want to make sure that I'm healthy and able to move. So I want to make sure that I'm well warmed up to do any physical movement uh, that yeah. I have programmed and planned. And, and I still have a coach, which I think is really, really important. And for me, that's something that I identified early on. I love, I'm the kind of person that I love to be coached um, as well. I am a coach, but I actually need that for myself as well. Right. So, so yeah, that, that piece is important for me. And it took me a while to figure out who that person was and you know what I needed from that person as well. And to clearly communicate that, but yeah, I find it really fun right now just trying some new things um safely of course my first priority but Mm -hmm. uh moving my body challenging myself going after some goals that i have set for myself and um yeah kind of enjoying that whole process how has being a, a coach of other athletes um changed your your perspective on things or does it just reinforce the experience and the training that you've had all along I think it actually 
emphasizes um, my intentionality. I think it, it brings more awareness because that's what I do all day when I'm at Evolve um, training people, like groups of people either virtually or in person. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cueing. I'm, ver- I'm verbally giving movement feedback um, and things like that. So it's, it's actually what I'm trained to do as a kinesiologist. It's just right. finally I'm using it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I really enjoy that. And I think it brings it back to my own training. You know, I'm, I'm reminding myself of those cues and those, those cues are those, you know, the important ones that keep us moving safely mm. and uh, you know, kind of thinking about breath as well. That's a good reminder for me when I'm doing my lifts um, as well as when I'm working with clients. Hmm. Yeah. Breathing is an interesting one because it is one of those things that's, uh, invaluable to cue, but it's also uh, a little harder to get the athlete to, to recognize it the same way as they do a physical change in their body position. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, well, and I, I started noticing how important it was to remind people to breathe out. So the importance mm. of that exhale, because a lot of weightlifting, we breath hold sometimes, right? So mm-hmm. it's, and sometimes in those, you know, those movements, we do that for that kind of core rigidity almost. Um, but uh, after that piece, really important to breathe, breathe out and, and things like that. But yeah, it's uh, keeping people mindful of that, I think is, is a really, really important one. A funny story. Um, there's a, a group of clients that we train, it's called Fitness Forever. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're um, typically retired. Um, they want, you know, they value movement. Um, they've had lots of different experiences in their lives. And there's one lady who her, her daughter just had a baby. And uh, she's probably in her late 60s, I would say, if not early 70s. And she, she loves it. Like she comes in twice a week. She does her workout with a group of people in person. And she told me that while her daughter was giving birth, now that she wasn't allowed to be in the delivery room because of COVID times, but she was on the phone um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. And she was practicing her exhales when, you know, to manage the stress, (laughs) she was actually purposefully breathing out. And she told me this story. She's like, she told me about it and told me how it calmed her down. She even talked to me about how she was doing slow moving butt kicks like moving her legs so that her, her, her legs were, were strong and things like that. Mm-hmm. So things like that just bring a smile to my face. You know, that the things that we say as coaches actually have real world impact. on. Oh people. yeah. Well outside the gym. Outside the gym. Yeah. 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 So just that little, just wanted to share that little piece too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's incredible. I, I love hearing stories like that. Uh, we, we get that all the time with the the members at, uh, at my gym and it's, yeah, it, it's incredible to, to see just how many different interesting ways their experience in the gym winds up influencing their day-to-day lives. Um, uh, and how they, how they internalize that and, and it, it makes them more excited to come, to come in and train right, again. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like they, they've bought in, in their own way, right? Yeah. 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 I love that too. So, uh, is there any chance that, uh, you might wind up writing another book or, or was that, uh, was the healing that you did by writing that book all that there is? There's definitely another book for sure. Um, I started writing it a couple of years ago. 
um, and kind of put it to bed a little bit because that's mm-hmm. how I wrote my first book as well. Um, and then usually what happens is I'll do a little a rewrite, a revision or something like that. But when I wrote my first book, it took me it took me a year start to finish once I decided that was what I was going to do. It took me mm-hmm. you know, five months of writing, one year end to end um, to kind of production, you know, publishing and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this one I think I and I feel will be a book for youth. Um, so that's that's kind of where my my intention is right now. But okay, also off uh, you know open to you know there is definitely a youth book in me to write. I don't know if it's now or if it's later, but there's definitely um, more that I have to say for sure. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's terrific. And I, and I have to imagine that, you know, the, uh, the, the events will continue to unfold for, um, your, um, your training and speaking business as well. Um, you know, the, the, I think it could be kind of a mixed blessing in, in some respects. I mean, COVID while you're having to do these, uh, keynotes remotely, um, you know, it, it does give you at least the benefit of being able to do, um, potentially anyway, as much as you can, fill up your schedule as much as you can possibly imagine because you don't wind up having to lose time to travel and, and so forth. So, you know, hopefully it winds up meaning that you're, that you're able to expose yourself to an even greater audience as a result, because there's no travel, no geographic limits to who you can reach. Exactly. And that's what I'm finding is that I'm actually able to reach way more people this way, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like my core intention, right? I want to be able to help more people um, right. and reach more people. So yeah, definitely. I, I'm loving the virtual presenting. I didn't think I would, um, but yeah, I really am enjoying it. I love sleeping in my own bed. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, no travel required. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's. I do miss this. Uh, you know, interacting with people though. I, I you know, I sure. realize yeah. how much I would miss it, and I, I actually really do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that'll come back, I think, in some ways. I'm sure it will. It might be a little yeah. more gradual than than we think, but yeah. uh, you know, we'll we'll get back there at some point. Um, and in the meantime, I hope your schedule remains as as busy as it possibly can, because I think you have a lot to share. The you know the experiences that you've had, um, uh, both as an athlete and as a professional. Um, you know, you've, you've got more than enough to, to be able to share with the next generation, um, not just the youth, but the next generation of business owner as well. Thank you so, so much. Thanks so much, Karen. I, I, I can't wait to, uh, to, um, read your, your next book and, um, uh, we're certainly going to try to stay in touch more so than we have for the last 25 years. Let's see if we can actually, uh, find an opportunity to get into the gym together and you can school me a little bit. Uh, that'd be fun. I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> thanks so much, John. That's time for this episode. All that's left is the M wrap up. Karen has some exciting irons in the fire and is actively shaping future generations by sharing her knowledge and experience, the ups and downs, the strategies that she's honed over a 20 plus year career as a high level athlete. Not every athlete finds this measure of success in life after competition. But Karen carefully crafted her skills and experience throughout her career and focused her energy in a way that gives her fulfillment, inspiring others with messages of resilience, perseverance, dedication, and focus. And these are not themes that are unique to sport. It just so happens that that's how Karen developed these skills herself 
and how she has the ability, through her many business pursuits and public speaking opportunities, to impart these lessons on others. Be sure to follow Karen on social media to keep on top of everything she has on the go, and hopefully, maybe, just maybe, the follow-up to her book will be coming down the line. I'll post links to all of her businesses and to her book in the show notes. That's it for this episode. If you liked it, please share it and maybe even drop me an email at podcast at boxjumper.ca. Like I mentioned in the intro, please follow me on social media at boxjumperover40 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcasting app. Finally, visit boxjumper.ca to add your email to the Boxjumper mailing list. Thanks for listening. The CrossFit Open is finally upon us, and another episode of the Box Jumper podcast will be coming soon. Until then, stay healthy, wad happy, and wad often.